say all the embarrassing things that you wanted to? I think I got most of it off my chest. Okay, fantastic. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Screen Speak. It's a podcast all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, and I run this podcast, so I appreciate you for stopping by and giving it a listen. Uh, with me, I have a very, very old friend of mine. Actually, and we'll talk about this in a second, you are oh, the boy. oldest friend by like just definition, by years. Uh, John Ortman is with me right now. Hello, I'm John Ortman. You know, I'm happy to be here. You know, first time being on a podcast, so excuse the rustiness. Hey, I'll give my, my best go. It's my first time actually hosting it, so it's all it's all <laughs> it's good. <a> first. <laughs> so I have to start before we get into the movie that we're talking about in this episode. But I have to start with just like how how do we know each other? Oh, uh, we grew up next door to each other back in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and you know. Used to spend a lot of time, you know, playing video games, you know, doing weird, goofy shit in the backyard. You know. <laughs> do you want Do you want to share some of that? Oh goodness, Jordan used to. We had a a sigsaw or one of those things that goes teeter totter, and Jordan used to like to act out some sexual acts on that. What? Yep. Oh that my. got brought up on a few family dinners. Ah, uh, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, and I immediately regret. Uh, having John on the podcast. <laughs> oh my god. I got some memories. <laughs> you know, the, I really did that? Yeah. <laughs> How old was I? I mean, I... Oh, well, you are a couple years older than me, but... Yeah, but We like, were probably... You were probably 13 or 12, and I was probably like oh my 10. God. Say, I was gonna say, <laughs> I, I was hoping that you were going to say like 7 or 5 or something <laughs> like that. Oh my god. Um... Yeah, no, I, so yeah, I've, like John said, we were next door neighbors uh, growing up, and I used to go to his house and hang out, and then, um, <clears throat> I, don't, I always remember your basement, that's one of the very things, uh, things that stands out about your guys' house, because you guys had an awesome basement at that house, and I remember distinctly your dad had that Gladiator poster that was always oh, framed yeah. up, and I was like, that's so badass. Yep. Um, how's he doing? Oh, he's doing good. He finally moved back. Um, he was living in California for a few years and, um, finally moved back about six months ago. Now he's, uh, guidance counselor over at ASAC, uh, substance abuse treatment center here. Really? Yep. How long has he he been doing that? He's, um, been doing it for probably about two to three months. Really? But he's loving it. He's finally able to use his own experiences in life and, you know, try to help out others that... Yeah, had, that's had similar problems. That's so yeah. awesome to hear. Uh, you will honestly have to tell him hello from me. If I mean, I'm assuming he probably remembers oh, for me. Sure, but, yeah. I talked um, to him before I came over. Yeah, what did he What did he say? Oh, he was excited. You know, yeah, that, does he listen to podcasts? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I actually had to explain to my mom like what a podcast <laughs> is. You know, I, I mean, like I I understand it's a bit of a generational thing on there, but it's it's all good. Um, Another reason why I, I purposely wanted to have you on as soon as possible is that I think it was in the very first episode, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but in the very first episode, I referenced that w- one of the earliest memories I have with recording a video is with you, oh, goodness. Timmy's Demise, which oh. I double-checked, man, it's still out on YouTube, and I guess I just gave away the title so somebody could probably go and look it up, but... Cool. I need you to tell me your story of that video. It's, um, what would you call that? Adolescence is boredom at its finest, you know. When you're out on a farm, you don't have a whole lot to do. But when you have friends that have uh, creative imaginations, you know, you can always find something to do. Yeah, and, and, and help me remember, too, because we rode around on 
Was it your four-wheeler? It was a Gator, I think. What's a Gator? A Gator is a all-terrain utility vehicle. It's basically a small pickup truck. What? It was either that or the four-wheeler, but this was about 10 years ago. I might have a little fuzzy memory on it. Yeah, no, I, I looked it up I, on YouTube. I think it was like 11 or 12. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, can you believe that? I mean, like, I know I, I sound like the old guy, but I'm like, Oh my god! Like I cannot believe that that was that long ago. Um, but I, I think I, I recently actually rewatched. I showed it actually to to two coworkers that I'm close oh, with, and like they, they were surprised. They're like, "How come you never shared this with us?" I'm like, "I kind of forgot, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it's been so long." But I, I kind of. I don't know. In a weird way, I'm like, you know, John's always been a supporter of me doing you know exercising that kind of this part of myself and stuff so i was just i was really excited to be able to actually have you on and, and you were actually i think one of the first that i was like hell yeah man like you're starting a podcast that's awesome yeah i was excited you know you've always had that imaginative creative you know personality type and always had fun with you so i'm always down for anything cheers my friend cheers we're having a undisclosed beverage um <clears throat> so the movie, let's let's get into the, the actual meat of the podcast. So the movie that we are going to be talking about today is Lord, uh, Lord of War uh, that stars Nicolas Cage, Jared Leto, and Ethan Hawke, and it came out in September of 2005. And John, I, wanna, I just want to ask you, generally speaking, just what are your thoughts on Lord of War and kind of how did you get introduced to the movie, that kind of thing? Oh... It's actually been so long, I'm not quite sure if it was just a random movie that my parents had in their movie collection that I decided it looked interesting. You know, I bet I was a semi-fan of Nicolas Cage after National Treasure at that age. You know, that's a solid movie. You know, I can't speak for all the sequels that came after it, but the first one really hooked me and it kind of introduced me to Nicolas Cage and his type of personality when he's acting. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's interesting, too, because I, uh, the, the second episode of this, we actually talked about the movie Pig, uh, which is another Nicolas Cage movie, so I just, <laughs> all right, I just I must be on a Nicolas Cage kick or something, which is it's just kind of interesting. Um, but anyway, so yeah, th- this movie, let me, let me run through some of the synopsis here, and then we'll get into some of the, the, the details of the movie that we find interesting. Okay. So the synopsis is that Nicolas Cage uh, plays a man named Yuri Orlov and he lives in Brighton Beach which is uh, I think it's like in suburb. Brooklyn yeah or like a suburb of Queens New York or, or Queens or yeah. you know somewhere in New York yeah. and in it's in the I think the mo- the story starts out I think in like the early 80s and then it progresses like all the way up until like the end of the 90s 2000s somewhere around that so it's about a 20 year um, story arc on there um, but anyway, so he plays Yuri Orlov, and he's an immigrant along with his brother and his parents, and they have a restaurant, a family restaurant, like, they're just kind of getting by, uh, but, you know, Nicolas Cage, his character in the movie is, is, is lost, he doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life, but there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of crime that's in the neighborhood, and then one day he sees a gangster get whacked, he just sees him get shot in, like, broad daylight, and that's when he realizes, as he says in the movie, that there's... Uh, a, a basic human need to to be killing people all the time which is it's dark it's messed up oh. but it's 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 interesting which I'll talk about that when we kind of get into the podcast more some of the the dark kind of satirical humor of the movie um, but anyways he he has this epiphany that when he sees this murder that he's like well 
you know, people are always going to need to kill each other and everybody uses guns. He's like, maybe I could get into the gun trade. And then from there, it's a story about how he evolves to become a very successful gun runner. I think I... Yeah, he definitely wasn't going to go much anywhere with his family restaurant, you know. That definitely didn't look like it was going to turn out too good. It was definitely taking a toll on Jared Leto's character. Yeah, yeah, which we, which I definitely want to get to his character here in a moment. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, um, just from the movie, is I want to talk about those opening credits. Oh, goodness, yeah. Because you remember the bullet. It follows the bullet around from manufacturing to where it ends up, the final destination. What do you think about that? I think it kind of some it gives a good, I don't know if the right word is synapse, of you know the theme of the movie but i think it establishes the tone yeah very well especially because there's the buffalo springfield song in the background which is like a a it's a very like uh you know anti-war kind of like peace song and so it's ironic that they're using that to show a you know essentially a product that is likely going to bring death to somebody yep end up in a conflict somewhere most likely and I, so yeah, I, I thought that was extremely clever. And then um, just thinking about how like the movie again, just the overall tone of it is, it is very unflinchingly honest, but it still has like undertones of like dark humor. It's very satirical, kind of cynical of, as well. I think of like just like people in general and like their intentions, because it kind of is. It's it's kind of shedding a a light on people's behaviors. I think that we'd rather not really talk about. Oh, very true. You know. I don't think most people would like to admit, you know, that type of dirty business that they're into. No, no, I definitely don't think so. And I know you mentioned before, uh, before we actually hit record on this, that you were kind of familiar with the director of this, Andrew Nicole. How, how are you familiar with him? Just a little bit. And I looked up his IMBD and it kind of shocked me. Uh, I got to say, the only other movie that I've seen that he directed was um, the Justin Timberlake movie uh, in time in time yep. yeah and i like that that was a pretty good movie i thought oh that's the one where he has like the the time expiration like it like built into his arm and like he's gonna die if he doesn't get more minutes yep. or something and, like that yeah and he had to keep working just to get a few more minutes and he was trying to balance out of his sick mother i think too oh yeah uh, yeah i forgot about because olivia wilde plays the mother right i believe so it's kind of like strange like they're like like the same age but because of the concept <laughs> of the movie she's like technically like a hundred yeah, and they don't really age. That's right. No. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, from what I'm mostly familiar with him, I, I mostly attribute him as a writer. I mean, he does, you know, he directed Lord of War and produced it um, alongside Nicolas Cage, actually. But uh, I think he's mostly, I think of him as mostly a writer, um, most notably, uh, like like John was saying. <clears throat> um, oh my God, I just drew a blank. Well, it was surprising to when I was looking at his IMBD page that he wrote for The Terminal. Yeah, yeah, the Steven Spielberg movie, yeah. which that is, I, I, I can almost promise you at some point I'm going to be doing a dedicated episode on that movie because it's such Worth an it. underrated movie, and I think it's so good. It's a true story, I believe, right? I don't know if it's, I don't think it's a true story, but oh, I have yeah. a feeling that they based it off of real events that happened in immigration. Oh, yeah. And I can, I can say for myself for, just for that movie real quick, and then we'll, we'll get back to Lord of War. Um, that movie, I actually showed it to my fiance. And what did you think? 
Well, she, you know, by definition will be an immigrant, especially when she legally immigrates to the country. And so I think for her, I think she actually even appreciated it on a deeper level because she can relate to like those immigration things and not understanding the language of another dialect or another uh, culture and that kind of thing, which uh, it's just very fascinating. But yeah, the terminal plug for that, please, please watch it. It's a really good movie. Um, So anyways, talking about the, the, the director, Andrew Nicole, I think he's a really smart writer, and I think he has a lot of really original concepts. Um, this movie, Lord of War, while it's not, Yuri Orloff is not a real character, it is factually based on arms-dealing uh, operations that have happened, so I, I haven't had time to like look into the full specifics of it, but a lot of the stuff is based on real accounts, which is uh, kind of disturbing. Yeah, kind of <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Um, but then, uh, yeah, otherwise, Andrew Nicole, I mean, like, uh, most people know him from, uh, from Gattaca, because I think he wrote and directed that, and then he also wrote The Truman Show, the yeah, Jim Carrey movie. Yeah, did say that. That was and, kind of surprising. Yeah, I love that movie. It's critically acclaimed. Yes, yes, it is. It's a, it's a film. It's a film, John. It's, it's not a movie. It's a Let film. Let me put my pinky up. We're talking about films now. Is that what, is, and how does the pinky thing work? Because I, I definitely know that's, like, a snobby thing. Oh, that's all it is. You, uh, do, you just uh, keep a pinky up? You know, whenever you're drinking a nice beverage, if you want people to take recognition I'm, of you. I'm going to be weird now out. and just, like, start, like, holding a pinky up every time I have a cup, even if it's water. The finer things in life, Jordan. <laughs> the finer things. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk about Nicolas Cage. Our man, Nicolas Cage. He is, as I said in the first episode of this podcast, or second episode of this podcast, he is the best worst actor on the planet Earth. Um, the man is an enigma. He is fascinating. But I do want to talk about not necessarily like just straight up his performance. I mean, if you want to talk about it, I, I definitely encourage it. I mean, what do you think about his performance? Why not? In this movie, it's hands down my my favorite Nicolas Cage movie I've ever seen. But I also respect him so much, even for his kind of um, B-rolls, because... Man has to support that dinosaur bone collection, and I'm castles. so glad that you brought that up because <laughs> I I think I actually mentioned it in the second episode that because someone uh, my buddy Adam he had asked he's like why do you think he's like kind of doing these like garbage movies or for so many of them and and I mentioned I'm like I think he went crazy with like the height of his fame and he bought like a castle and dinosaur bones I think it's multiple castles actually I, I think I heard that too <laughs> he, I mean I I know he had a lot to I I can't. It would be so fascinating to meet Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine him on a podcast? Oh, I think he would be <laughs> overshadowing in every aspect of it. Oh, it, 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 would, it would be absolutely amazing. But I want to talk about, and I want to hear I want to hear what you think about this, is his character, like, right from the beginning, and I, and I realize, I, I think it's been a minute since you've seen the movie, but you still, as you say, remember it quite well. Um, his character admits pretty much right from the get-go of the movie that he's like i'm not here to tell you a pack of lies i'm just here to tell you what happened i'm not going to make myself look good just interpret it for what you will and i think his character is i mean the, the description i noted to myself is that he's the devil hiding in plain sight well i kind of think of him as just a guy who came over here with not much means to mm-hmm. be who he wanted to be and to live the life that he thought he was going to be living when he came to america with his family um so i really kind of relate to him not me personally but as far as um how people 
are willing to do things that most other people wouldn't even think about to provide themselves and their family with opportunities. It is actually, I mean, I'm not just saying that for the, the sake of the, you know, just the podcast and whatnot, but that is actually interesting because you do have to look at his, his obviously his economic circumstance and also the fact that he's not an American citizen, that like, you know, he is, for lack of a better word, trying to achieve the quote unquote American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is a cliche that's done in, like, movies like Scarface and things like that. Outsider comes, gets involved with criminal stuff, and, you know, rise and fall kind of thing. Yep. But, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting to think about. Oh. I think it's probably, yeah, it's definitely overdone in Hollywood, but I think the director's take on it in Lord of War was probably the most realistic version I've seen in quite a while. You see so many of those, like... Like you said, Scarface, the drug dealer ones, where yeah. they just grow up in the projects and all of a sudden they just want all the nice things. But I gotta say, Nicholas Cage's character, um, Yurloff? Uh, yeah, Yuri Orloff. Yuri or- Orloff. Yeah, it's, it's I'm gonna struggle with that, you know, <laughs> tongue twister. But I think it's the most realistic of an immigrant really kind of balancing his own conscience on his shoulders and having to make tough decisions and sometimes having to ignore some of the decisions that he's made just to keep one foot in front of the other. Yeah, yeah, and and that is, we're going to circle back to that, believe me, on this one. Um, but I think we both agree, Nick Cage, this movie, it's one of his best. Oh, hands down. Hands down. Yep. Uh, now, the fun character, oh, Jared Leto. You creep, <laughs> man! Whoa! <laughs> he is all over the place in this movie, I gotta say that. You gotta beware of the dog. Dude, that's a nice reference. Nice reference to the movie. I'm not even going to explain the reference to that. You have to watch the movie to understand that. Um, His character, yeah, his character by far, I think, is... I don't want to say he's more complex than than Nicolas Cage's character, because obviously Nicolas Cage, he leads the movie, Mm. but I think Jared Leto's character has a lot of nuance to him, and there's a lot of, like, things that are said without being said about him. Um, kind of what I mean by that is that throughout the movie, his his character has a lot of conflictions about not only any business that he does with his brother, but also just his own actions. I think like he he's a very self destructive person, and oh, yeah. it's like he knows that he's kind of messed up. Like he, he he admits it. Like he he's like painfully aware of it, but. I don't know. I, I, I think I, what I found most interesting about him is just the way that he portrayed somebody as, you know, being an addict and, and having a lot of these uh, very harmful tendencies. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you look at all of the characters in the movie, his character was actually probably like the most morally sound person that there was. Oh, definitely. He was. He really portrayed a good addict with conscience and the ups and downs of his own personality and energy level that he went through, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I can really go into it, but from the scenes of him going to rehab and saying final goodbyes to... Spoilers are allowed. Okay. Yeah. But saying his goodbyes to, you know, Nicolas Cage, who is putting him through it, um, to the point of the end of the movie where it really makes a big character change. That's, oh, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, things we could say about that, but that's an interesting point. Let's talk about that, actually. I think it's interesting to look at how, I think you said it, or if you didn't say it, I'll say it again. 
Nicholas Cage, if you you know if you've seen the movie, he, he introduces his brother Jared Leto to the the gun trade business and gun running and all that. And he needed a partner, right? And and he needed the partner because it's a dangerous business, and he needs obviously someone he can trust. And who better to trust you than family? Right? Blood, blood. Yep. And it's interesting though because without going into too much of the movie he takes him along for it and he's not he's not with him for like the entirety of his his career as a gun runner but by the end of it i mean i think i think you know again i'm gonna spoil it uh yeah he dies yeah he he his brother dies and it's a very it's a very profound moment in the movie where you can definitely tell the character nicholas cage is is pondering like did all my actions and everything i've done lead to my not only me destroying my life but my my brother yep. also being dead it's like what like even if he was a drug addict and all those things aside do you think he would have lived oh i think you know if nicholas cage never brought him into the business i don't know because you know, in the early parts of the movie, he's already pretty down in the dumps and depressed as a cook for the family business, you know. Yeah. He is not in a good place. And to say things would have went great for him if he was just living out his life there, I don't think so. I think he would have still either went into severe alcoholism or fine drugs, cheaper drugs than what he was eventually able to get. But, you know, I do think all of the moral questions and moral ponderings that you know Nicolas Cage was he was the older brother he was able to kind of mentally push those aside and look at the greater good of what he was doing I don't think Jared Leto was able to do that and he portrayed it really well that he was actually facing those deeper questions and they were eating away at him you know he's definitely more sensitive of person yeah or um... character no, I, I think you're onto something there because Nicholas Cage, uh, Yuri, he has a, a certain moral flexibility, if you want to call it that, where, you know, a person that has a, you know, a very, very in touch with their, their soul or their conscious there, you know, they would see something like, I'm going to be selling guns that are inadvertently likely going to kill people because in the movie, they're not selling it to hunters that are hunting animals. No. They are, they are, they are healthy, helping countries uh, supply weapons for their wars. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that eats at him very heavily, whereas Nicolas Cage, it's, it's interesting because it does, but it's it's one of those things where the, the benefits outweigh, you know, the harm to it. And also... It's interesting too because he he says it a couple times in the movie, but he's good at it, and you can tell throughout the movie he's good at it. Well, the director actually did a really good job of kind of pointing that out. Right, I want to say it was in the middle of the movie where it really showed how Nicholas's Cage's character, um, Yerky. Uh, y- Yuri. Yuri. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Did you say Yur- Yurky? Yurky. <laughs> yeah, that would have had a different take on the movie. Oh my god. But. <laughs> Um, how he was able to raise, raise in the ranks because the first time they go to a weapons convention, he's scoffed off by some of the big players in the game, and the big players were actually taking politics into account, and they weren't willing to arm the people that were going against what they recognize as their own people. Where Nicolas Cage said, screw it, I'm in here for the money. Whoever has the highest bid is going to mm-hmm. get these weapons. 
it's interesting too because as you just said he is clearly there he's he's financially motivated probably above all else i think he just sees it as purely a business he doesn't really look at a lot of the the human side of it if you if you will and and if anything uh, that's probably the reason why he is so successful in the movie is because he doesn't have those dilemmas he's like well like whatever he's like i'm not i'm not pulling the trigger you know i'm not doing it they are not one bit, you know, there was that scene, I want to say it was right when they first started going a little bit big and they were selling used weapons that the U.S. military left in um, war or well, conflict the, zones. It was during the Cold War, right? Okay. I think this was somewhere in the Middle East. The Middle East and their used weapons, right? Yes, because apparently the United States Army doesn't want to ship the weapons back because it costs more to get them refitted and into what we consider usable condition, and also probably to, you know, send some more money to Remington or whoever the weapon manufacturer is. That's true. You know, so they were just selling them by the pound to, or by the kilo kilogram. Yeah, I think kilo. Yeah, I, kilo. I'm not a weight guy. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, but to whoever would buy them in that territory, and literally, after their first big sale of them. The people that they sold them to use it to execute a bunch of teenagers that were considered, um, what do you call those? Res. Or... Uh, refu- refugees? Not no. refugees. Um, um, freedom fighters? Yeah, yeah, freedom fighters, just people against the state. Because that's in Lebanon, I think, where that happens at, right? Okay, it could be. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Probably a group of Hezbollah then. You know, I probably I cu- I couldn't even point out Lebanon and all that. <laughs> I had family that was from there, so that's the only reason why I have a little Did bit you? of geographical really? knowledge. Yep, my dad um was engaged to a Lebanese woman from Beirut. I remember that for yeah. probably about eight years, and still to this day, the only bit of Arabic I know is "yella," which means "hurry up," and oh. <laughs> that came very profoundly because it was a group of or it was a house of three Lebanese women that I was living in. Or living with. When yep. was this? Oh, back at the farm. You don't remember? I'm trying oh. to. Well, I remember the farm. Name dropping them, but no, it's it's yeah. You don't have to do that, but um, I because I remember I remember the um, what was her name? The your dad's fiance. Marianne. Marianne. Yeah. See, yep. I I remember her, but yeah, I I don't. I don't Marianne, remember. Amanda, and Vanessa. It like it's like vaguely fam- like it's it's coming back to me. I can't like fully visualize them, but I. Yes. Yep. That's interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that more okay. off, off this. <laughs> um, so so I, I want to touch back on, on Nicolas Cage and his character, whether you define him as being, I don't want to say like evil, but uh, not even like, a, he's not an anti-hero, but he is a, how, how would you, how would you define him? I would describe him? him as an anti-hero, for sure, because... Yeah. He's doing the right thing, but he d- might not always have you know the best way to do it. He's not definitely mm-hmm. a choir boy or an altar boy by any means of it. No, you know. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, cause I find it interesting, and yeah, I, I guess we'll we'll talk about we'll 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 move on, but we're we're gonna touch back on that. Um, so one one thing I have to talk about for Jared Leto though. Uh, we gotta talk about the scene where he draws Ukraine out of cocaine. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, like it, it is a very dark scene, but it's—I don't know—it's kind of funny to me a little bit. Oh, I would hope so because <laughs> you and your brother quoted that his line for years. <laughs> I would come over and 
you know, Jordan and Jared would be screaming, you fucking fucks. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, <laughs> Back and forth to each other. You, you, can, you can Google the clip, but his... It's worthwhile. Google it. His, his delivery... <laughs> His delivery certainly makes that moment stand out, but yeah, that that scene always actually stands out to me because like it's it's messed up to see somebody that zonked out on drugs that they are literally taking the drugs that are snorting up their nose and drawing a country that they remember their home country. Yeah, their home country. But then, like, I, I think that scene's actually really powerful because the the part where you know he he does do it, he's like you fucking fuck, ah! like he does that. <laughs> But if you remember the scene, I don't know how well oh, you remember I it, but like you can see Nicolas Cage, like he, I think he's just like dumbfounded because like he's like, hold, like what the hell is like he can't even like process his brother's behavior, and I think that's what like you're you're shocked, but you're also like sad like at the same time. Yeah, well, Nicolas Cage definitely gave a grim reminder to Jared Leto's character. Um, I don't think it went anywhere into Jared Leto's ears or his character's ears because he was like you're obviously going to be dead before you even get halfway around the country i think he said something about a sea or the, <laughs> i can't yeah. remember the exact line but yeah yeah there's no way he was going to finish that maybe the prostitutes that he had with him could have helped but they looked <laughs> like they were already done with the party uh yeah I, yeah I forgot yeah like you can see like in the background he's just got like a bunch of women just like laying there oh beautiful women completely butt naked yeah I, <laughs> I I don't recall what the status of their clothes was but considering it is basically a crack house in wherever uh, yeah it's not I, I don't have to leave that much to the imagination <laughs> But um, imagine the investigative work that Nicolas Cage's character had to do to track him down there. It looked like there was no internet anywhere in sight. That is that is interesting because he does say through narration that he's just like a few few weeks or later or whatever. This is my bad Nicolas Cage impression. <laughs> um, he talks about how he how he found him, but yeah, it's like how, how the hell would he find him? Maybe it's he like, was selling like 90s, guns to the maybe? coke dealer. That's the only way I could connect the dots got a pager like they <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> i don't know pager come get your brother <laughs> like yeah he yeah he, he took some of our women uh he's got he's got your drugs <laughs> better come find him <laughs> by the way you owe me 40k <laughs> you <Okay>. didn't pay <laughs> yeah like it's that's actually i mean it's very interesting actually like just how much that stuff costs oh like, i mean there's i mean there's a reason why people do it I mean, it's financially motivating i bet it costs way less over in whatever slum oh of a country he was in there but yeah you know it's like you know it's a slum country when they don't even i mean maybe they identify i think they they may put like i don't know yugoslavia or i'm just throwing out yeah names. some eastern european you know? country for sure but yeah it's pretty bad when like you hear it and like you don't even recognize it you're just like what like what is that i guess it exists <laughs> um okay so you need a refill you do too Want i to do grab? too um if you want to. Yep. Okay. I'm going to wait for him to leave the room. I'm going to talk a bunch of, talk a bunch of shit. Oh, I bet. Okay. He's, he's left. Now, uh, John's actually pretty awesome. Um, <clears throat> I definitely hope to have him on the podcast again. And there's a lot of memories that we share together. So we'll see if we can get him to talk about some of that stuff before he leaves. But I definitely think, um, definitely think he'll like this. Yeah, I think so. Okay, he's coming back. 
Not that I can't handle dead air. But Let's see if Jordan can pour it this time without, you know, getting 75% <laughs> head to his beer. That is that is what they call that, right? Oh, yeah. It's the head of the beer, Practice all the foam. Okay, so let me see you do it first. You, gotta, you have to tilt it. Tilt about it. at a 45 degree 45 angle. 45 degree angle. We're going to do this at the same time, just like when they execute that guy in Lord of War at the same time. <laughs> that, that's a bad analogy. Yep. Oh, you're right. Look at that. Put your hand right around my hand. It's going to be a bonding experience. <laughs> that's a bad, bad accent. But I love that character in it, too. I actually left him off the my my notes I had taken before this, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, let's talk about him quick. Oh well, he's, it's uh, Andre Baptiste. What is what is his line? I'm the Lord of War, and then Nicolas Cage cracks him, says, well, actually, "I believe it's Warlord." Yeah. No, I like my way better. Yeah, he's like, "Thank you, but I prefer it my way." Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, his character, I mean, it's a supporting character for sure, but very interesting, and it's obviously providing a lot of commentary on dictators in in impoverished countries that basically consume all the wealth, make there be child soldiers, yep. and uh, essentially just rage needless war and bloodshed. It's tough act, tough acting job when you're actually defending the use of child soldiers. And that he prefers them over adult soldiers. Yeah, because he says in the movie, like, a, a, a bullet from a 14-year-old is just as effective from an adult. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, that's that's, <laughs> that's so dark. twisted. And even, like, the, I mean, again, throughout the movie, I mean, you can tell Nicolas Cage's character, I mean, he's he does not agree with the stuff that people do. But no. he is able to morally separate himself from it, which, it's it's interesting, but we'll, we'll keep going. Um, Ethan Hawke. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, Agent Jack Interpol, Valentine. Yeah. Interpol, Interpol Agent Jack Valentine. I don't know why I'm talking like, oh, Nicolas Cage. But it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that far off. I, I need you to do it now. Oh, God. I need, yeah, you're, I'm putting you on the spot. Nicolas Cage impression. Three, two, one, now. I'm Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it all comes out about the same. <laughs> I couldn't tell if, like, you were doing, like, a... <laughs> I don't know why, like it's it's not the same, but I thought you were doing like a Jason, a Jason Statham, <laughs> maybe because it, it just had like that gruffness to it. <laughs> um, Nicholas Cage is just very fun to impersonate. Oh yeah, he's endlessly fun. He's he's got so much range with his voice, and obviously when he gets upset, <laughs> you know, he like he goes fucking ape shit. Um, but no, Ethan Hawke. The the thing I want to talk about him is that his character. He is the you know the. I, I kind of like named him basically like the Lone Ranger of the movie. He is oh. the sole law enforcement entity that is tracking him throughout, just constantly trying to get at him. He's one guy not bribable, you know. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage has met plenty of these agents, but everyone has a price, but not Jack Valentine. That's right. We're just we're just we're just doing direct quotes from the movie. <laughs> Every man has their price, but not Jack. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't do that, but <laughs> Anyway, Along the lines, um, but what do you what are your thoughts about how his character is such a straight law person? Or I'm saying, God, I sound like a five year old. He's in the law. He's a cop. <laughs> um, he's a straight law person that won't break the law to bust Nicholas Cage because obviously Nicholas Cage he has no problem breaking the law and and going around political mm-hmm. loopholes and things like that. But he he won't do it. He won't bust him. It, he has a 
very high moral standards that he holds himself to because he's trying to do right in the world and there's a scene where he does a, probably the most shady thing that he's done when Nicholas's Cage's um, character gets his plane filled with weapons and ammunition gets shot down by Interpol, I believe, or by South Africa. Well, no, so they, if, if I remember the scene right, I want to make sure because I think we're talking about the same yep. one. They're flying the plane full of, like, guns. It's, like, oh, over yeah. Africa or something. And Interpol's there. They're like, you need to land. And they're like, what do we do? And then they shoot a warning shot at them. They're and, shooting bullets at our bullets. And, that's right. <laughs> and, and then they tell them, they tell them they're like, we need you to reroute to Cabal airspace immediately. Like, I just watched oh, this goodness. last night. Cabal, so. that came up recently in the news. Did it really? Yeah. Is that the... Taliban took over. Cabal's the capital of Afghanistan. Okay, so... Real quick, because I actually think it is, it's it's topically related to this. Yeah. I've seen some of the headlines on that, but I don't know some of the specifics without going into too much. Can you give me the bullet points? Well, as far From as I know, Taliban has, you know, they pushed their agenda. Um, the United States were planned to do a full withdrawal from Afghanistan, and that's still a few months away, but they realize that, you know, the United States isn't playing a huge active role now that they're trying to get out. They're trying to get their logistics probably going to pull out of the country. So they just decided to bulldoze right over, you know, the Afghan troops, which they told it quickly. Oh, yeah. Whoa. And now you're seeing people on the web posting photos of, you know, all this U.S. military gear that we probably paid for the Afghan army to have. It's just being sold in open air markets right now. So it's almost kind of relatable to the movie where, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union led to a huge influx in the Mm -hmm. kind of third-party arms dealer trade. That's true, yeah, because I I don't remember the full specifics of that, but I do know that, because it's a a very, is it an arms embargo? Is that, am I even saying that right? Because I'm trying to reference, like, what happens that causes, like, this big gun running boom. From the fall of the Soviet Union? I think so. Well, uh, arms embargo, I'm pretty sure, is when you refuse to sell any arms to that country. You're Yeah, I'm definitely not saying that correctly. <laughs> that was just because there was nobody in charge, and they were trying to regroup the entire government, and there's a bunch of weapons, you know. That's right, because that, that the, the rival arms well. dealer in the movie specifically even says, like, this, this state of chaos will not last. Yep. You know, there has to be order um, to, to keep things from, you know, going insane. Yep. Um, no, that, that's interesting. But yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting with going back to Ethan Hawke's character, <clears throat> oh especially the ending, because that's, I think, where the movie really is, it's, I mean, it might as well be breaking the fourth wall to the audience in really raising the question of, you know, at what point do you let evil prevail and at what point do you stop it? And I'm using evil kind of loosely. I'm not saying Nicolas Cage is purely evil. But Jack is clearly in the right for mm-hmm. pursuing him for his gun running exploits and everything like that. And towards the end of the movie, he like legit has him dead to rights. Yep. Right. But Actually because of but because of the influence that Nicolas Cage has on countries, private wars, and stuff that's like black ops and you know, all this stuff that's like kind of off the books and in that in the gray area as he likes to call it, he's able to, you know, just basically get away. And 
I don't know. I, I It makes me think of there must be other situations out there probably that happen all the time in the world where the law can only do so much. Well, I think the narrator in the movie covered this pretty well. Um, oh, Nicholas Cage. He, he, oh, a, yeah. Yeah, he was a narrator. <laughs> um, but it basically goes something along the lines of the enemy of our enemy is our friend, that old quote. And it yeah. was like the United States <clears throat> didn't always they wanted to supply arms because the united states from what i understand they might still be they might not be but i rem- think at the time of the shooting we were the number one country in arms trades oh i think so um, and, at the, and i wouldn't be surprised if we still are yeah and sometimes you know the united states wants to give arms to a certain group but they don't want their name on the transaction so it's, that's where Nicolas cage sometimes fit the bill of you know he can do the dirty work that we just can't do. And that was that's a very interesting point to talk about, too, is that he, you know, you're fully aware that what he's doing is illegal, but at the same time, you understand that if it wasn't him, it would likely be somebody else that would be doing what he does, and that even our government, I mean, there's a, I don't have the quote that comes up at the end of the movie, but our government engages in this stuff, and we likely still do in some capacity, and it just makes you think because again it's like we are utilizing means that are probably not uh, going to be morally conducive to the population that a lot of like the general populace they would not really be agreeing with us doing that but but that kind of raises the point of where how many americans out there probably you know they're very happy to have all the freedoms they have, but they probably don't want to ask too many questions about how it gets there. Yep. And, and that's turning the blind eyes, they say. You know, our military has the only black budget out there, and a black budget means that there's no set limits by Senate. So What, what does that mean? There's no set limits. They can spend as much as they want. But where does that originate from? The black, You said a black budget? I learned that in high school um, social mm-hmm. studies or government class. Really? Yep, because you're... Our goal of the class was to basically, okay, well, we want to get rid of these trillions of dollars of debt. How do you do it? That's what the teacher tried to yeah. get us to answer. And a lot of people said, well, reduce the military spending. You can't do that one, and there's no set figure on how much they can spend. That's interesting. I and, did not know that. You know, that's the big thing with the military industry or industrial complex is, you know, and I think they really shine a light on that in the movie of, as far as conflicts all over benefit the United States or at least some of the high corporations because as long as there's conflicts out there, there's reason for us to still be out there trying to do justice and try to help out and give us more activity. I think at the very least, the movie definitely is quite clear in showing that profits definitely come from war. I mean, like, there is money to be made when there's war. After every world war, the United States basically went into booms with our economy because we were paid to rebuild everything or to supply armies with what they deplenished. It's very true. It's very, very true. Um, I was going to ask, I was going to ask you, um, so the movie frequently is is directly breaking the fourth wall through narration. Uh, Nicholas oh, okay. Cage's character comes in and out of the story and is is talking to the audience, giving them narration, which is not all too dissimilar from like, you know, famous Martin Scorsese movies, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street, those kind of ones. 
Um, do you have any thoughts on just narration in movies or like if you think it worked for this kind of movie? This kind of movie, it worked beautifully because it kind of drug the line between a cinematic experience and a documentary where yeah. it kind of really gave the audience kind of a guide on how they should be feeling about it, what's really going on behind the scenes, and why is everything happening that it's happening. Well, and I think... Because I don't, I don't think narration in the form that it's in in this movie is always effective. It's, it's very no. dependent on the story. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> since so much of the character is focused on Nicolas Cage and his moral complexities that he has doing what he does, I think it... I think it is effective for him to talk about it the way he does to the audience. Um, but then I also think, I, I, I noticed it's kind of a trope, but I, I mean, it's, a, it's an effective trope it, or uh, cliche in that <clears throat> movies that seemingly take place over a long period of time, a lot of them have narration at some point. And I think it's just because like when you're exploring a story that takes place over such a vast amount of time, yeah. it's... It, I think it would be easy for... Like, if you think about it, if the narration was taken out of this movie, I mean, sure, you'd probably be able to follow along with it, but I do think there would be some people that would get lost a couple of times. I think the moral compass of it would probably get lost, too. It would it would come across as a completely different movie, I think. I think yeah. you're right. still think it would be a good movie, but I think I would have taken it's away one of what Nicolas, I did. It's one of Nicolas Cage's best movies. And, sure. and I... I will say this again if I haven't already said it. I know Nick Cage gets a lot of bad rap, and he is <laughs> almost a meme or a joke or a gif or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, and and rightfully so for a lot of his crap performances. I'm not saying I'm not defending the man's entire filmography, but the man is a good actor, and I think he is committed for better or worse. And I mean, it's one of his best movies. I think one of the critics he gets every now and then is overacting. And this movie, he really underplays it. He goes straight for the character, I gotta say. I don't... Yeah, I mean, because Nicolas Cage, just by default, I mean, he's known by, like, general audiences for, like, his emotional rampages, where he's just like, wow! He's, like, you know, he's freaking out, he's losing his mind. And, like, in this, like... I mean, he has times where he yells a couple of times and does stuff, but I think he's very conflicted in the movie i mean that it comes across in his performance that like he is messed up inside i think a lot of kids that had dads that are salesmen would could kind of relate to nicholas cage being kind of like a dad figure to them or they're on the road a lot of the time when they come home they bring home gifts and toys probably to make up for them all the time that they're gone yeah disney dads as they say (laughs) oh i haven't heard that before (laughs) well i always used to actually i mean my I don't think my dad ever listens to this stuff, or he <laughs> might not even know I'm doing it. Is he it. still doing good? He's doing okay. okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we can definitely talk about that yeah, later. we don't have to get into that. No, no, it's, it's, it's fine, though, but I, I, I joke because I I haven't mentioned it before, but I'm a child of divorce, and so yeah, I... So am I. You are, too. Uh, cheers for <laughs> our, our parents hating Two each other. Two Christmases. <laughs> That's what we can cheers to. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I, I, I think, like, uh, my, my dad, I, I he definitely didn't run guns, not saying that, but I it's an interesting thing you just said with the whole, like, kind of trying to make up for my actions by just spoiling you with material things. Because oh, he does that, because Nicolas Cage does that for his wife and son in the movie. Like, he just buys them the world, yep. you know? 
But it's still, it's like all the money in the world doesn't make up for your, what you are doing. And then stop her from snitching on them at the end when she found that's out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she snitches on them in the uh, the storage unit, right? Yep. Because like, her painting she store there. Falls on, like, she thought he was cheating on her. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think this is a very extreme example, but for anybody that is listening that ha- uh, wants some couples advice, talk about your finances honestly, <laughs> because otherwise you are going to be super distrusting and start following your spouse around <laughs> without their knowledge and eventually leading to them getting arrested. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we don't want that. Um, so I want, I want to talk about uh, subject of gun running, which... I'm not saying, and I'm going to say this throughout any podcast episode I do, sometimes I may talk shit, or sometimes I may just talk about what's off the top of my head. If I have cited something prior, I will definitely mention, hey, I cited this prior, so that you're not just thinking I'm saying a bunch of shit. Um, but on the subject of gun running, I do find the movie really fascinating just on the subject, like of how arms deals work how countries do buy from a private seller like Nicholas Cage. They're not like... Because I, I feel like... I feel like just as like a general citizen, I might not, might not be saying that right, that you would just think, well, the U.S. probably buys their weapons from another country or like a, a big, big manufacturer, right? Even yeah. That's probably what you think, but not the case. But yeah, you know, there are definitely some huge companies here in the United States that, you know, thrive off these multi-billion dollar contracts to manufacture slight differences in weapons and you know and sometimes you know you'll see it in the news if you pay attention to the right news articles you know they get sold pretty openly from private corporations here in the United States even. Yeah, you, you can look up the sales of oh, these yeah. things it's, yep. all, it's all public information because it gets approved by Congress usually yeah and you know a lot of times you know warplanes um Weapons, missiles, and all that stuff can be sold to other countries. You know, there is some approval behind it, but, you know. Do you, now, I, I don't know how much you know about this. I mean, it, I mean, you know more about it than I do, clearly, just from you just saying that. But <clears throat> I guess, like, for, like, gun sales and manufacturing distribution, I mean, uh, you know, I know, like, countries will use it for war and private citizens may use it for home defense or hunting or something like that. But... I am curious just, like, what the... I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think how, how best do I say this. I'm, I'm curious about, like, the, the how much it's actually used for the purpose of just straight-up war, you know, as opposed to just the military kind of doing, like, one-off operations. I, I don't really know if that makes sense, but... I don't know any factual statistics, but if I, mean, I had a guess, I would say probably... 80 to 90% are probably actually being built and sold just for conflicts. I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I know it's, and it's, it's an underlying theme of this movie, but it makes me think very broadly about this subject is like gun running, probably like anything else that causes eventual harm to a human being. It's, it's, it's a complicated subject, right? Oh, it is because you know, there's always that of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And yeah. it can very easily be miscued where, you know, in most conflicts, I guarantee both opposing sides look at themselves as a good guy based off of their oh, own sure. agenda. Sure. You know. I mean, I've, I've, I've listened to, I mean, I'm a movie nut, clearly. Yeah. And 
there's there's times I've listened to actors where like they say in order to get into the proper headspace of a character, like what person that's evil or is defined that way thinks of themselves that way. Like never. Like they don't think they're bad, you know? They don't see it that way. They're they're following the, their their ideology. Yep. Um but no, I don't know. I, I, I think when I think of the subject, I guess, of gun running and if you watch this movie and you, you know, kinda of start to explore the subject, I think of it as in a long line of a lot of other subjects that are very complicated, have a lot going on with them, do, you know, likely, speaking based off data and just facts, likely cause harm. But I just think what person outside of someone in the industry or in politics actually has the time to pay attention to it. And I mean really pay attention to it. No one nowadays. With right. how much we're invaded of social media and you know all the weird clickbait news that people find themselves entangled with. Misinformation. Oh, there's tons of that out there right now. Yeah. Everyone has a voice, including me right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, hey, we're on a podcast, but uh, it's disconcerting, I guess, when I think about it, you know. Because I, I think, now granted, this movie came out in 2005. Now, that's, I don't know how many years ago that is. I, I'm bad with mental math. But I imagine this is probably one of those issues that's not really sexy to the media. And oh. I imagine it's probably, a lot, again, along with a handful of other, you know, complicated human issues that are not going to be explored, let alone be really heard as loudly as they probably should be. And I, I thought this movie spoke very loudly about that. Oh, completely. Because imagine if you're a journalist, and they didn't speak on this multiple times in the movie. Nicholas Cage's character talked about how his favorite way to operate was in the gray zone, where it's not really legal, not really illegal. And that's a big part of gun running and the gun trade business is that it's really not that well defined as far as what's legal and what's illegal and mm-hmm. try to be a journalist and you go after somebody with real money you can end up in a lot of trouble you know it's true it's true and, and that's that's probably part of the reason that his character is able to I guess get away with his own actions is that he does put himself in that gray area a lot where things aren't clearly defined and they are so subjective in their interpretation it's I don't know. I don't really know about that. Um, <clears throat> I want to touch on some of the dark humor. We've been oh, talking about some heavy stuff, but this movie, <laughs> this this heavy. movie does have moments where I'm trying to think how how I would describe this, but like like so any movies I had noticed that like follow crime crime figures or you know over a long period of time, take a movie like Goodfellas because I I mentioned that with the narration and mm-hmm. whatnot. Now, you're following people that are criminals. They are murdering, you know, doing, uh, there's a word I'm looking for, uh, exploiting businesses. Racketeering. Or racketeering, yep. things like that. They're doing these terrible things, but you, there is an entertaining value to it. Oh, yeah. Because you're, you're seeing extreme behavior that is not done by probably the average Joe Schmo that's out there. And I don't know, this, this movie I think is very smart with how it is constantly being very unflinchingly honest with its portrayal of events, but it's also entertaining. Like, Nicolas Cage, he's a likable guy in the movie, and he has likable qualities about him. Um, like, I, I'm thinking, like, one kind of just little funny thing is his, uh, it's his uncle, the one that gets blown up in the car bomb, but 
he's like that stereotypical Russian guy. Yep. He's drunk all the time <laughs> off of vodka, but he's like, oh, like I like the nephew. I like selling yep. the weapons, and like you know, like there's stuff like that. We're like, oh, like this is kind of enjoyable, but messed up at the same time. Definitely. Oh. The way that even his uncle, who is a complete drunk and I'll be right back. stereotypical uncle, I'll be right back. John's oh. gonna hold the hold the fort. I'll try my best. But <laughs> there's even a scene where Nicolas Cage has to um, persuade him to fudge the numbers on the amount of attack helicopters and weapons that they still have at the armory, and Nicolas Cage does a good job of saying, "Well, you know." Who's really going to bust us? You know, who's in charge? No one's in charge. It's still the USSR is no longer there. They're still trying to get their head on top of them. Because yeah, I, I, now I, I totally miss what you were saying, but I think he said at one point, he's just like to the, to the uncle, he's like, is that, is that a one or is it a zero? That's exactly you know, what and, and the uncle's about. like, no, it's, like, it, it, it's a one. And he's like, it's whatever we say it is. Yep. Like, cause, cause who cares? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I imagine, I mean, especially back then, but I mean, even still today, even with all the advances in social media and things like that, you have to know there's probably crafty people that know how to slip between the cracks of things, you know, not really care about what's written down. Nowadays, it's just, you know, hacking into the computer logs and changing the numbers of yourself. And who's really keeping memory track of all those inventory logs? I don't know who is, but... I hope I there's someone. <laughs> I can certainly tell you it's not me. Um, I am. I know my way around a computer. I'm fairly proficient in it. I'm, I am I can do this podcast on here, I guess. But, yeah, I, don't trust me with that. We're, we're not going to get anywhere with that. Um, so... Dark humor. We're, well, we're, well, do you have anything else to say about the dark humor? Well, we already touched on it. Can, I mean, when Jared Leto was about to OD on the yeah, <laughs> cocaine. But his Ukraine outline yeah, looked Ukraine. pretty good. It looked, it looked good. No, he did a good <laughs> job. He had good memory for being as whacked out as he was. You know, it looked like he took it straight off the map. I have a feeling that I, 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 there's so much to unpack with, like, how could he have drawn it so detailed while being so zonked out, like it, like he must have recalled some deep, deep memory where he like looked at the map and just studied every nook and cranny of that country. Yep. And um, then even when um, they're dropping him off for rehab, and you know he's begging his brother for one more bump. Oh, that happens like three times in the movie. Yeah, he's just like Yuri, Yuri, please, please let me get high one more time. God, I almost thought he was about to go over and suck Nicolas Cage's dick for a second. But you know, especially, by the way, the camera was angled. That, was, <laughs> that, you know what, maybe there is some weird director's cut there where they're just like, Jerry, Jerry, well, you know, while you're down there, what, go, ahead, go ahead and do this something. This is the one way you're going to do it for me. <laughs> My God. Uh, Jesus. Um, so, I'm going to go back into dark territory here. But we, darker we, than ancestral, <laughs> darker than ancestral blowjobs. Like we, we, we can go darker than that. That's we, my god, that is twisted. But uh, this is one of the things I'm I'm totally thinking out loud here. But this is one of the things I'm absolutely so looking forward to by having more people on this thing. Is I never know what's going to come out of people's <laughs> mouths. Anyway, so 
this is kind of kind of more wrap up into like the ending and and kind of general the general theme of the movie is the price of your soul because the movie does i think openly open-endedly at least ask the audience like you know would you would you have done everything i did you know and i don't know i think about it's obviously easy to relate to yourself first and your own experience. And I think, I don't think I'd be able to do that. You know, I don't think I could do the gun running, even if I got like a crap ton of money and all that. I not saying I'd be like Jared Lowe's character and do lines of Ukraine and, and be all messed up and try to stop a, a village from being slaughtered. But I don't know. I, I, I do think that my morals come into play when I think about something I would do for money. I couldn't be the polar opposite of you. Um, you got a price? I do. And it's basically my price is is almost, I could kind of relate to Nicholas's cages in this, where granted I didn't come from nearly as rough of a background, quite privileged actually, but as long as I can get my goal as far as securing my family's financial future, and I wouldn't do anything to risk that. And I think that's what came forefront to Nicolas Cage at the end of this movie. Is that sure. <clears throat> he was willing to do all this stuff in order to attain the goals and opportunities that he wanted to. He was in love with that model ever since he was a kid in Ukraine, which means he was going after a cougar, probably. It's true. <laughs> um, but as soon as that became a threat of what he was doing was about to take that all away from him, what he was working really for, I think that's when I personally have breaks, is if you're about to lose everything that you worked for, then you have to backpedal and, you know, reassess what you're doing Mm -hmm. and try to find other ways. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, talking about just, you know, the, the theme of, like, the price of one's soul and things like that, I mean, I don't think his character is pure evil. I don't. I, I, I think he, as they say, the, the enemy of my friend is the enemy of whatever that quote yep. is. And, you know, he is he is doing something that likely somebody would be doing or multiple people would be doing in his place. I mean, like, I doubt war is going to end, like, globally. Oh, you know, we're never. not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya anytime soon. Unless the aliens touch down tomorrow. And even <sighs> then, there's probably going to be a few people shooting shotguns from their backyards I... and pissing them off. <laughs> I, can t- I can tell you on the subject <laughs> of aliens and <clears throat> maybe I'll find a movie so I can get my weird alien thoughts out of my head, but I do not think the aliens want to visit us. I think they're real. I, th- I do think they're real, but I do... I think if they looked at some TikTok feeds and some of the other stuff going on out there, they would take that UFO and do the the biggest freaking U-turn that they could think of and be like, I do not want to come to this planet. I got to say, the sightings that we've recently had on UFO or on UFOs by even the United States Air Force that they've recently released, I feel like those are just like teenage aliens that are down here to fuck with us. And to stir up a little bit of storm, probably when they're out joyriding their dad's, you know, spacecraft. So they're spoiled alien kids, too. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's not there just subjects in the no. human race. <laughs> they have a lot to learn, you know. They probably live to be 500 years or so. <laughs> so, let's talk about, tor- let, let, let's start to wind down, 
as, as much as we can. This is me trying to control the the, <laughs> the pace. Um, but no, I, I want to talk about the ending because I know we're going to talk about it for a bit. Is that the fact that it leaves it open-ended and, I again, I don't know what quotes it shows up there. It shows some statistics of like arms deals being still very largely... Largely done, largely profitable, um, you know, potentially damaging uh, a lot of different countries and things like that. I guess what what did the ending of the movie say to you, or did it make you have any thoughts about just gun running as a whole, or or war, or any of these big things? I might be blanking on a bit of the ending, but the most profound memory of the ending was when Jack Valentine was basically given the fu. He was told he did a good job, but we're going to let him go. And he worked his almost his entire career just to bust this one big arms dealer, and he finally had him yeah. wrapped up by his toes. And Yeah, I think that's... <clears throat> it's probably the most interesting aspect of the whole movie. And, and, and that one scene you're talking about really does boil it all kind of down to, like, even if you do all the right things in the world, does it really stop things from happening? Stop stop the world from turning, or in this case, the gun-running world from turning? Yeah. And the answer is no. It doesn't. And I think there's a lot that can be said about that, but I think... I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to get preachy on this podcast, but maybe turn the faith of some kind, or maybe... I don't know. It, I, th- I think the answer to that is, is honestly kind of beyond us. Like, for, like, you know, big picture-wise. Because I, I don't know if we would really have the answer to it. And I think the movie's saying that, too. It doesn't. It's not really trying to give an answer of, like, anti-gun running or stop the gun running. Because there is a need for countries to be supplied their, their uh, yep. munitions. It's, it's a plausible need. It makes sense. We have to defend ourselves. But... It certainly does make you question the moral high ground of it all. Well, kind of think about it even from a scene in the movie where he was doing a gun deal with, a, I want to say it was probably an African tribe that was basically doing a genocide against another tribe. That's the scene and where Jared Leto just eats yes. it pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like, well, what if that other tribe that was having a genocide committed to him couldn't buy weapons you know would he not want to sell to them so that they could defend themselves yeah it's i i broadly speaking anyway one of the things that kind of comes to my mind on that it would be like a an animal conserve conservationist like someone that's trying to like keep a species i don't think animal conservationist is what we want to refer to but i get what you're saying (laughs) that's not the right term yeah What, what is the, the, the point is, it, it would be like someone that is trying to make the argument for, let's save this species, but then you know that nature or whatever is going to run its course and wipe that species out regardless of what you do. I'm, I may be reaching here. So we kind of need a more philanthropist to get into the gun running trade to just donate a bunch <laughs> of guns to the people that really need it. Maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I... I, I <laughs> I am by no means an expert on this. I just think it's a fascinating topic to explore. Oh, definitely. And and definitely with the, the with the scene you're talking about, especially because that's where 
I mean, Jared Leto's character is conflicted throughout the entire movie of the damage that the the job does to people. Yeah, and he then sees when he, it I, yeah, all. and then and he literally the the scene where where he gets killed, that is where he literally is like witnessing like gun, trade, death. death. Like it's literally right there. Two people that don't deserve it by any moral compass in his book or in most people's books. No, I don't think so. And that's where I don't know myself. I guess if I if I walk away from the the, the movie and you know I was I would I would want people to have a conversation about things. I would probably want people to talk about the laws in place for these things. You know, if there's anything that could be done to make it better. But then I, I guess I would also want to be a realist, too, and not completely dismiss the profession, but still, I don't know. If there would be a way to introduce some type of moral standards to have for it, maybe. It, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I would never be in a position to, to make those calls. Yeah, it sounds like a really gray area, and that's what the movie focuses on, of... How do you make those calls? Because I think I said this earlier, is in most conflicts, both parties think they're the good guys. That's true. So how, how do you really determine who's a good guy and who's a bad guy? Because in most conflicts, they've been going on for generations, if not, you know, decades. Sure. Or generations would cover that at all. But, no, you're, oh. good. you're good. Um, yeah, I, 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 and you know what? I'll, I'll leave the... The, the the listening audience pondering about that because that's that's one of the reasons I also love this movie and movies like this is because it's got a conversation mm-hmm. it's it's a conversation starter whether it's territory you're comfortable with maybe not necessarily so but it makes you think it makes you think and it makes you ask those deeper questions because I do think <clears throat> without sounding too you know self-righteous isn't the right term but I, I i don't expect that we'll solve all the world's problems through conversation but i do think that long-form open-minded conversation about a subject like this it is going to be a pivotal way to be able to actually make there be any kind of progress on something like this yeah it's important to hear everyone's opinion you know you always have to kind of try to look outside of your own perspective and to think of how other people look at the same situation. And that's what I feel like kind of in recent times and in recent news, you know, everything's become either one-sided or, you know, so opinionated that it's forced a lot of people to stop speaking up and trying to have these open debates that you don't have to declare enemies just from talking about opinions, but it's always important to hear what the other side is thinking. Yeah. That way you can kind of guide your own compass as far as what's going on. A quote I go back to a lot, um, I think it's a quote anyway, is perception is reality. I mean, it's very straightforward, but, you know, it's like one person, their existence, they live in their own world, you know. And, of course, they're a part of society and they're a part of, they're a part of the grand scheme of things and whatnot, but... They're the main and, character in their own movie. Exactly. They're the main character in their own movie. They they are the focal point of everything that's going on around them. They have their own unique set of experiences and circumstance and everything like that. And so, I, I mean, I guess my point with that is that people need to be more mindful 
of that without, again, sounding like like I'm trying to tell you how to think or anything like that. But, yeah, it, th- there's a lot that can be said, I think, about a subject like gun running and how you would effectively talk about it because it's, it's a very complicated subject. Oh, yeah, very complex. But I don't know. I... I I think you may you may have said this at one point, but like social media, it's I mean one, it's just not an effective communication <laughs> no. tool. It's absolutely <laughs> it's it's absolutely not. But then I I always think a lot that that there's a lot of subjects like this where long form discussion needs to be had, but it always boils down to time. Who the hell actually has the time? To do this, let alone one of the other world's 10 million problems. Yeah, no one. I'm not trying to sound hopeless. I'm not, because, you know, I'm an optimist at my core, but... How many hours of media do you think was actually being produced and released 30 to 40 years ago? Not much. And now we're living in a time where there's so much media that you couldn't... Yeah. Unless it be your computer with, you know, extreme processing capabilities, go through with an algorithm... And actually listen to everything. Did you ever see... uh, I I mean, I will wrap things up tying it back to Lord of War, but did you ever see the documentary The Social Social Dilemma? No. So it's it's on Netflix, and pretty much, I mean, mean, it lets you still come up to your own interpretation, but it's basically saying social media don't use. (laughs) Like, it's it's pretty clear about that. I would agree with it, and I think with the amount of media that's being out there today, between all the streaming sites that are out there, or streaming services, with all the still cable services that are out there, all still releasing information, and, you know, I think that's almost why we've grown into a TikTok, you know, generation, or TikTok, you know, time, because... Attention span. Yeah, now we only have time for 10 seconds, because who wants to spend four (laughs) hours actually reading... A well-read article about a specific subject yeah. we don't have the time for and that's so sad for like the field of journalism like real journalism is that like you said somebody could be like a you know Pulitzer Prize winning author <laughs> and you'd just be like well I could read this like you know three page article they wrote or I could watch this guy like hitting his ball sack on you know with a I don't know a potato gun or something yeah. on TikTok <laughs> like I'm just thinking of like something really stupid and you know something dumb but yeah i don't know I, I i think it's i mean talking about it is going to be healthy is there a solution to it that's very black and white and simple no i mean okay. i think a lot of things fall into that gray area that this movie talks about yep so i, I mean i that the gray area thing's always been something that stood out to me with this movie yep because it's it is true like there are things that are not black and white yeah it's really hard to draw lines in the sand anymore nowadays, even though there's a lot of news agencies that would like to draw a very sharp line, but usually when you get down to the reality of things, it's a lot grayer than what most people would like to portray. I agree. I agree. So, John, I think I, I've said enough about Lord of War. Oh, I agree. Do you have Me any too. Other, do you have any other thoughts? No. It's a great movie. I'd recommend it if you haven't watched it. Please check it out. I'm sorry if we spoiled a little bit here, but you it's know, okay. I mean, the movie has been it. out since 2005, so you had I, plenty of time. Yeah, 
Oh, no, hey, uh, buddy, seriously, I super appreciate you coming on the podcast. I mean, like, it, it really means a lot to me. This is something I'm really trying to grow and, and just really make it really become a, you know, a thing. And, and I wanted to catch on. And, you know, you being one of the first people and one of my oldest friends, it means a great deal to me that you actually came on this. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. It means a lot that you asked me to be on. You know, you broke my podcast virginity tonight, so... <laughs> Um, I hope to be back, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable now that we've gotten into it. I mean, I was going to say, like, I mean, like, whatever. I'm going to say to the people, I don't make this weird. (laughs) I I, I don't think so. Are you uncomfortable? Oh, he made a lot of my childhood uncomfortable, but, you know, we're past that. That's true. (laughs) You know what? You know what? Okay, okay, hang on. (laughs) I'm not getting away from that one, I guess. Okay, so I, all right, you know, I like, we're... I'm wrapping this up on Lord of War, but because John is one of my oldest friends, I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least talk a bit about us growing up and some of the memories that we have together. So one of the things I know for a fact that I have two childhood memories that stand out in my mind. The I want most. a hero. Well, actually three. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> I promise this isn't going to go too long, but hey, I got time. Who cares? So one... I think it was one of the first times I ever remember like actually kind of getting close with you like as a friend is we camped outside your front lawn. I don't oh know if you God. remember this. Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> we camped outside your front lawn and I remember that like we had like a buttload of junk food. Oh, like, yeah. Cheez-Its and Capri Suns and all this crap. I was a spoiled brat at that time. <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. <laughs> and and as you remember, I, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but, like, when I was living, you know, at the house there and my mom was married to Brett oh, and yeah. all that stuff, it was, like... We, Not we, ideal. No. Like, I, I always felt like we couldn't host people because, like, it totally was like, like, do you want some flat diet Pepsi and some, you know, stale Pringles? Like, it was bad. But then I... And, and believe me, I was not mooching off of you because you were a privileged friend. <laughs> I was not. But I was like, John, Austin, they have food. <laughs> like, <laughs> we were willing them, to so. feed the hungry. That's, you know, our good charitable deed back in the day. Oh, my God. But, but yeah, I, re- I remember we camped out that one time in your front lawn, and I was like, that was a lot of fun. We stayed up very late talking about just nonsense. Oh, I remember a few topics that we might not want to bring up right now. Yeah, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe not, but I'm going to ask you about that when I, sit, when I hit stop on this thing. Um, and then another memory I have, and I don't remember how old you were, you had a space birthday. Oh, yes. I don't know how old you were. I don't either. You were young. I was young, probably eight or nine. There was a... A couple of women that used to host these very themed parties, and there were mine, women that did it. Yeah, it was women. It was two girls that, or two women that hosted it. They had a host. I, I thought you guys just put it on yourself. You actually no. paid someone to do it. Oh, that? they yeah, they cost high dollar. What? I guarantee it. Austin, he was probably the the most privileged out of the friend group. Oh yeah, I mean Aust- that's Aust- how we Austin. Found out if you one. ever actually end up listening to this, we love I you. Would, we do love you, and I would love to actually talk with you at some point. It's been it's it has been years since I've caught up with Austin. He's out in Colorado right now. Is he really? Yep, he just moved out there this year. What? He moved? Yep, he was a. Oh my god, he was an financial analyst. I would say great, probably Great America or yep. something, right? Yeah. And wow. I don't know what he's doing now out in Colorado, but man, it looks like he's having a hell of a time. Wish I, I could be out there. I would I would love to catch up with him. I mean, like 
he, I mean, we, I mean, the three of us were always really tight. Oh yeah, like growing. I up, remember I mean, going to the state fairs together and oh shit like God. that. Oh my God, Chuck! <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't talk about that on here, but Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, God, I, I, I'm gonna have to reach out to Austin. I don't you know should. if he'd ever do anything like this, but it would be amazing. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if like I said, if anything else, I'm using this podcast selfishly to <laughs> to talk with people that I just really want to talk with. Um, I want to say the third memory, and then I'll I'll stop. I don't out. even think you said the second. No, oh, I said the, the, the I, I said the the camping space camp. Oh or, yeah, yeah, not space, space camp, camp but, yeah. you know the there was space much to it. Yeah. Um, the third one I have. Oh, I'm trying to think. Because there was a lot of memories that I had out at the house of Palo, like with your dad. I mean, that was later, granted. Yep. But, like, when we were younger, this, okay, yeah, this was the memory. I don't, I think we had a name for it. But do you remember that you, me, and Austin, we used to play in his backyard. And we had, like, a whole thing where, like, he was the president. Uh, and, yes. like, I was, like, a Secret Service agent or something. And, like, I don't, you were, I don't know if you I were a terrorist was, or, like. Oh, maybe. I or just... maybe I was the terrorist role. I don't know. <laughs> I just remembered that during those little um, imagination, you know, scenarios, yeah, we always ended up with a hot chick at the end. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. I, I need and you to And there was elaborate. a lot of ground thrusting towards the end once, you know, we saved the day. Oh, my you know? God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what we took away from action movies and oh James God. Bond films. <laughs> I, I had... It's it's coming back to me like from like some like PTSD childhood memory. Yes. But oh my god, really? Yes. I just okay. I remember one thing. I, I don't even care. I'm admitting it on the podcast. I don't even care. There was one of the things I remember that we used to do is it like Austin and I would like take turns and like we'd like chase each other around. I remember and like oh you know maybe I shouldn't say this on the podcast. Well, I got one memory. Oh. Uh, I, I'm sorry, can I say yep, one more? Go for it. I'm sorry. One more, and then I, you got to go talk in. I don't... You have to refresh me, because I'm an old man now. Was it your dog or Austin's dog? I think dog? I was about to bring up the same thing. Austin never... Or I it, think was it was Boomer. my dog. Oh, Boomer. Is it, yeah, that was is Austin's that dog. Austin's dog, but yep. your dog was Jackson. 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 Yep. You yeah. remember. Okay, I'm going to let John tell the story really quick, but you got to tell us... You have to tell the people... About, about the game Jackson, play? Jackson in the game. <laughs> okay, so the game was, Jackson was, you know, when he was going outside, we would chain him up on a leash in the front yard. And he had a, oh, a really enthusiasm for humping people. And we used to play who was the slowest, and we would run back and forth between the <laughs> bounds of his chain to see who he would catch and hump to the floor because he was about a hundred some pound he was a big dog yeah we were little kids golden retriever and he would take us down like it was no problem and he continued that into my high school years he he never got rid of the humping phase (laughs) he loved now how how old did he live how old was he he lived to be about i want to say nine and then he got a tumor on his spine that's too bad. It happens. You know, childhood dogs, you know, yeah. they're there. They support you so much. And I remember when we first dog. got them, my, we had a Milwaukee cockatoo that was going to live to be a, about... A walking what? A Milwaukee cockatoo. What is that? It's like a big parakeet. They can speak, no English and all that. They just memorize what? words. And 
my dad thought he was real slick because he gave us the ultimatum because me and my sister both were begging for a dog after seeing other families in the neighborhood get dogs that we wanted one. Well, he said, here's the ultimatum. You can either have the bird or you can get a dog. And guess what a couple of young kids asked for? We were like, screw the bird. We want the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I think God. he was really just trying to get away from that because <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that bird was cursed. It what? caused two divorces. That bird caused the... I'm going to say it caused. You're, it, you're it saying that's, that's the bird. primary cause. <laughs> Even my dad stands to this to this day. Wow. Because uh, we sold it to a family in the neighborhood, or we probably gave it to them, but they ended up getting a divorce too, like a few years after getting the bird from us. What? <laughs> yep. Now, when was... When, okay, if you had to guess a timeline, when did you have this bird? Oh, I had him, um, I think, my entire childhood since I was, or at least since I remember moving into Q Avenue. I yeah. don't think we had him back when we were living out at the farm. Because I think I... So probably I, from like age of 7 to 12, or 7 to I mean, 10 I'm, probably. I'm thinking about it now, and I, I, I feel like I can remember you owning something like that but I, I i mean i have no idea about like what it looked like its name I, I i don't remember any of that i i just remember jackson and all his humping oh goodness yeah <laughs> i don't blame you i still have ptsd from the bird he used to sing old mcdonald had a farm old mcdonald at the top of its lungs what yep oh my god <laughs> another memory I, whatever I'm gonna, Shoot. I'm gonna keep going but enter the matrix oh, we played that at your house on the gamecube a lot Oh, yeah. You remember that? Oh, that wasn't at my house. That was at yours. Was that I one of the few I things we actually did at my house? That and Final Fantasy, I believe. Final Fantasy, my man. I gotta shake your hand on that one. Yep. That's good stuff. For the few times I was allowed to enter your house, you know, those wasn't were that, the games wasn't that we were weird, playing. Though? Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah. And most of the times I feel like I got to know you is when you guys weren't allowed back into the house. And I was like, it's true. hey, there's kids outside. Let's play. You know I got so I'm gonna talk. I want to talk about that actually because I I think it's interesting. So, in the neighborhood on on Q Avenue, Austin was the first person I remember actually meeting because I, I remember if you recall we lived like down the road because Brett actually had a house that was like a little bit down the road actually. He didn't always live next door. No, he did not. No, oh. he he had a house. I mean, it's it's like it's like so like there's Q Avenue like here if you can see me I'm pointing my finger. Yep. Um, there's Q Avenue and then like Go. there's. Q. Here, whatever this street was, like right there, yep. that's where Brett was. Okay. And I always thought it was kind of strange that I'm like, the guy, because the house that we lived in was built. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a it was a new house, and we're like, it, like you moved like literally just There's there. a few families in the neighborhood that did that. I always I, no, thought I that think as so. well, too. Because that neighborhood at the time, I remember, was really new. And if yep. you remember, it's, I don't, I don't know if you get depressed when you go by there, but... All that forest that we used to play in as kids, it's all gone. Yep. It's it all is. gone. I'm actually glad we don't live there anymore because now they build apartments I know. connected to it. It's like there, there's a whole bunch of, there's a big apartment complex. It got rid of the exclusivity of being on top of the hill. That And, and that's an interesting part. Where the hills in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> the, hills, the hills in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> no, but, but it's an interesting thing because... Uh, because we, you did kind of feel a sense of seclusion oh, from everybody. Definitely. Because we had, we had one forest at the at the main end of our street on Q Ave, and then there's the big one on oh, the opposite goodness. end. Goodness, that just reminded me. 
So we had this forest next to us, and hopefully no one was ever harmed by this, but... I know what you're going to say. There was definitely <laughs> fort wars that were going on between our neighborhood and another neighborhood that their backyard was the forest, too, and they would come in... It was and the just, one that was, like, down the hill. Yeah, down right? the hill We, we hated bit, those you know. kids. And we were the privileged fucks, you know. <laughs> We deserve those forests. Oh. <laughs> but it got pretty extreme. I remember setting up some like almost Korean War um, or Vietnam well, bamboo we traps. traps and we'd piss on the <laughs> sharpened sticks that we'd put at the bottom of them. <laughs> like, thank God no one ever got hurt because that would have been... Well, I, I, I remember that we took, a, we, we took a whiz in the communal whiz tree. Oh, good. The one that had the hole in the center of it. A hollowed out tree that was dead we all pissed in it instead of running back to our houses that was just you know uh, more convenient thank god we were guys I, yeah i was gonna say thank god we were guys otherwise there, there would have been a lot of problems with doing that yeah. but the thing i remember about the traps I'm, I'm god i'm so glad i have you on this right now um the thing i remember about the traps is that we we would dig out the we dig out a hole and then we would put gatorade if you remember, we poured Gatorade in a few of them. I think Fruit I remember Fruit punch it. Gatorade. I yeah. remember the freaking flavor. We poured Gatorade in them because the idea was is that if someone like, like stepped on and their foot fell through, like it'd get all sticky. We thought that was funny <laughs> for some reason. Maybe it was just a tree that we pissed on. Maybe I'm having a little bit of memory war, right. but I do remember the traps and us building forts, and there was one tree that was like half slung over from a windstorm and we would all jump on it and bounce us to high heavens we bounced on it oh yeah we were trying to break it every time we got on that thing we'd have like four of us 80 pounds 60 pound kids trying to break this kind of tree limb do you remember the mulberry tree like at the entrance of the forest no i think i do but i don't know a tree so i remember trees like that uh adam who who also lived in the neighborhood him like you and me like occasionally we we would like pick like berries off of it and i think adam's dad like tried to like like talk us at one point like 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 make like jam out of it or something i'm like i I don't really know (laughs) but the reason i bring it up is because i remember myself there was a memory i have where i climbed too high on the tree oh and you probably you're you're afraid of heights so you probably couldn't get back down yeah no and i I specifically remember your dad and like one of the other like neighborhood dads like kind of coming around and being like jordan like it's okay like you can come down and i was like you know (laughs) but but that was that was a great thing about us growing up though i mean you have to really think about this appreciate the fact that we we grew up one in that neighborhood that felt secluded i do feel like we were able to all like kind of get to know like our neighbors like it was a really tight-knit neighborhood and we had a lot of freedom i mean i'm still you still are from the generation where we didn't have cell phones yep we could just run around that's yeah it's kind of a golden time to look back on because you know as soon as i moved out of that neighborhood you know video games and cell phones became a thing and you know everyone was just inside their house i never got to know any of my other neighbors the way yeah. I knew everyone on Q Avenue, you know, we used to have family pizza night. I remember that. Yep. And I know uh, there was like one or two times now, I, I don't think it was frequent, but we did a block party at oh, least yeah. once or twice. And a <clears throat> little block parade a couple times. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I just, it, it does make me sad though, because like you said, it's, it's a golden time in a way. Yep. And, and, and I think of, uh, I think actually particularly my younger brother Thomas, because when we moved, 
you know, you, I mean, you've been to the house that we moved at when we were in high school and yep. stuff. Because we've, we've been friends for a long time. And it's like he had a neighborhood where he could still, like, kind of go around. But he was, like, at the awkward age where he wasn't really, like, quite able to, like, hang out with, like, kid kids. Yeah. And there wasn't, like, a forest. There wasn't, like, all these things around for him to be able to do. And I, I always felt really bad about that. I think about that, too. Um, with my wife being pregnant, you know, I think about... Wait, wait, you don't just get to say that cavil- like all nonchalant <laughs> to me. Your wife's pregnant? Yes. What? Three and a half months along now. So it's okay to tell people now, I guess. Dude. Yeah, thank you. I'm shaking your hand. I don't care. I'm saying it. I, I Really? Yep. I got a little one on the way. Yeah, I'm so... I, I mean, was it planned, not planned? I mean, how's that? You know, that's a funny question. Most people ask me that, and I tell them it wasn't planned, but it wasn't not planned. I wasn't doing any preventive measures sure. to prevent it and you know did you guys at least have a conversation like we may or may not want kids like that kind we of thing we actually always talked about probably not having kids because really? we thought either one of us was infertile but it turned out it was just my smoking habit that i had to quit and then my sperm started swimming straight because because um <clears throat> and again do not say anything on here that you're not comfortable with saying I'm fine with that. um that stuff has an effect on on oh yeah you know it makes them temporarily stupid, and I completely believe that now because I think yeah, I was not one to wrap it up ever. Really? And I was in a nine-plus-year relationship or a nine-year relationship, and, you know, thank God there wasn't a baby out of that one because that would have been a yeah. fucking shit show. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can say, I mean, I, I won't say too much about it, but I, <clears throat> I've i had a scare before, you know, with, uh, you know, pregnancy. And, yeah, I mean, it's... The emotions that you go through with that are very complex. I mean, I, I, I had emotions that I felt when I was, like, genuinely scared about it one time. Mm-hmm. That I was, I mean, I didn't expect it of myself. Yeah. Like, it was, like, you you find out things about yourself in situations like that. That's for sure. I've realized, um, after seeing my sister, she got pregnant at yeah, how's she 18. Doing? She's doing great. Yeah, I knew she and got pregnant at a young age. She went straight from kind of a party girl lifestyle. And who's not when you're 18, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to act like I'm some saint. I, 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 you know, I, I drank for the first time when I was 16. Yeah, but, um, yeah, seeing her change her life like a complete 180 and going completely almost soccer mom-ish. She's not a soccer mom, if you're listening. But, <laughs> you know. What, what does she do, though? She, um, she works for a college here in town. and the, she a co? No. Mercy? Mercy? Yeah. Okay, I, and I, thought, I, with, I knew uh, she was doing something with Alumni college. Association, and I couldn't be more proud of her because, you know, she's been such of a role model of what to there be you. as a parent. Give me the rest of that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, she, now, now she has two kids? One. Just the I one? I think one and done. I don't think she was planning on anymore. One, one, a one and done? But, man, my niece, Sophia, she is amazing. She is so cool. Sophia? Yeah, Safia. Uh, Safia? Yeah. Okay. It's an Arabic pronunciation. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I never got to know your sister. I mean, not really. I mean, like, I knew her, you know, like, when, like, we were growing up and stuff. Oh, but... she used to make fun of you all the time at family dinners. Oh, did she? Yeah, she's, I'm pretty sure the one that brought up you hump, humping the teeter-totter. Ah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, uh, <laughs> I take back all of the nice things I was going to say. She sucks. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um... No, I honestly, man, like I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. 
you know, um, your family, I mean, your mom, Jody, Dan, you know, everybody, you guys, you guys were always, you know, you guys were always amazing. Oh yeah. Your mom and your brothers, they were basically family to me growing up too. I mean, so I, I still see you as family and, without yeah. that being weird, but oh, like, yeah. like you're, you're, you're my boy. <laughs> like, I, I don't care if I only see you like once every blue moon, like you're, you're, you're we're friends. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I think of you the same way. That's awesome, man. Um, anything else you want to say before we're, we're done, done with this? No, I wish I had some pluggables, but you know, if you can find me, you find me. That's okay. John Orban is his name. He is, <laughs> he is my oldest friend by biological definition. Um, but anyways, I, I appreciate everybody for listening to the podcast. And, um, I do want to mention just really quick as a plug, the YouTube channel for the podcast is up and it does have some short clips from the episodes if you're looking to maybe introduce it to other people and they just want to kind of get a taste of what is on the podcast please direct them to the youtube channel for that otherwise please go ahead and hit the follow button on here i really want to try to build the audience base for this so any person that follows this downloads the episodes etc that really helps out a lot so definitely please feel free to do that um and otherwise that is it i i i hope you like the episode john Thank you for being here. Watch Lord of War. Nicolas Cage doesn't always suck. And, well, please hit the follow button. And thank you, Jordan, for popping my cherry for podcasting. I am good at popping podcasting cherries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, how, how, how do I say that? I think he nailed it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate